Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. This is Desperately Seeking Paul and a most ambitious week yet continues. Seven podcasts in seven days, a celebration of the Style Council and a new episode every day, each one with a different honorary councillor. Now today we stick with the bass guitar to hear from Kevin Miller. From grooving to shout to the top, Kevin was there. Plus he was part of the Soul Squad with Tracy Young, signed to Paul's record label Respond, and touring the world supporting the Style Council. Here's another fabulous honorary councillor with some great stories to tell. So let's get into it. Hi Kevin, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. This is going to be lovely because you were there in, in very much the early days of the Style Council, but more than that, you were part of the Respond record label and part of the story of Soul bond as well so i'm really looking forward to this kevin that's good stuff yeah i'll try and remember as much as i can obviously uh, you know the years have not been kind <laughs> i do realize that as i'm talking to some guests whilst it feels like yesterday we're talking over well like nearly 40 years now really yeah yeah i mean i must admit that there's a lot of memories that you know it's like a video recording in your head that you just remember it exactly and then you're not really sure if that's exactly how it was or you know you've embellished over the years but there's probably other elements and if you're getting some other guys you know from the time on some uh, similar podcasts, then I'm sure there's going to be times that they're going to remember that I've completely forgotten about. Be good. I'm all up for the embellished stories as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the whole thing. The stories get yeah, bigger and wilder as we go through this. Yeah, um, there's a lot of stories that didn't need any embellishment, but we, uh, <laughs> well, we will touch on those as well. Great. Yeah, we might, we might do, yeah. But let's kick things off. When was it you first heard of Paul Weller? If you want to go back to the very, very beginning, I mean, I was always playing in bands at school and in the youth club and had a... Uh, the school buddy that uh, played guitar and I played bass and one thing led to another and we were you know just mucking around in in bands at school and then when we left we you know we both decided it would be great to make a living out of playing music so we ended up playing in a band through a friend of a friend earning pretty good money playing function gigs on, on uh, bases and UK air force bases etc and it, you know because punk was happening you know and we were quite into that but 
you know, at the weekends we'd be going and doing ABBA covers and things like that in a band, but getting quite good money. So that one thing led to another. And I think we, we ended up doing a year away with that band in Germany playing on all of the US bases. And we were kind of a bit frustrated because of the, the covers that we were doing in the set, you know, and uh, I think me and Simon, Simon Ringer was, we did a cover of Pretty Vacant, you know, to the to the amusement of all the Americans uh, at the time. But <laughs> but we used to do a few, uh, you know, police covers and stuff like that in, in the band. It was when we was over there, I think I, I first kind of recalled, because the jam was always there or thereabouts, you know, in the charts and I remember hearing Eaton Rifles actually in Wiesbaden and I, I actually remember the gig because we were supporting some heavy metal deep purple kind of cover band uh, and you know we were doing all our ABBA and well we weren't all ABBA it's a bit too, I'm, I'm jesting a little bit it was pretty cool we were doing you know chic stuff and Led Zeppelin and a real mixture because the Americans are, you know, pretty hard to cater for. But anyway, I did that for a year, came back. It was just jobbing around. I was actually a lead singer at the time. We had a little band. We had a minor, very minor record deal with Tower Bell Records, put out a couple of singles. John Peel played our single twice, I think, and we had a review in NME. And they said we sounded like a cross between the shadows and Spandau Ballet. We, we got a royalty check, less than fiver, I think, from the record company anyway. <laughs> so that we parted companies with the record company. And one thing led to another. And this is, must have been very early 80s. What was the name of the band? Well, we had a few guises, but the band that had the record deal was called Language from Memory. We had a single called Fortune. Yeah, I didn't do anything, but uh, I think I've still seen it actually on these rare record sites. I love the story of these US bases because, so technically you're a force's sweetheart, is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it was just it was purely a way of uh, making a living playing music, uh, but it was, yeah, it was tough playing on those uh, bases all over, around Frankfurt area and Ramstein and all those kind of bases. But on a, on a Saturday night, you know, we'd have to play like five sets, 45 minute sets. So. Wow. So uh, when we played at some of the um, smaller clubs, if you like, we were happy when there was a fight. If the fight broke out, we'd have got an, an early night, you know. So. <laughs> But yeah, like goading the goading the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, good, it was good fun looking back on it. I remember the Sugar Hill Gang, right? Most people would recognise them as probably the first rap record. So like Doug Wimbush yeah, and all that lot, yeah. They were actually on in this German NCO club, and we were on before them. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that. Well, rap we didn't, as, as we know it now, but uh, and then obviously yeah. the jam split, and Paul ventures into the Style Council, and it'd be great to understand where your paths then cross because there's a whole heap of stuff going on at the time where they've set up Respond Records, which is this this label that that Paul is able to manage through Polydor with new artists, new acts from all kinds of people, from the Questions to Tracy Young. So I was aware of obviously the Jam situation, their last single, which uh, Tracy sang on. So I was aware of who Tracy was when she had the single out House of Jack built she had an assistant called Hillary that were the record company Polydor at the time Hillary used to go drinking in my local pub in Enfield in North London I think Tracy was in the pub one evening on a, on a Sunday and we just got chatting and obviously I knew she was and she said you know she's looking to put a band together and I said well you know I know someone <laughs> I said well I'd really be interested in you know being a bass player I wasn't doing any, anything at the time so one thing led to another and and she invited me down to Solid Bond to meet the gaffer as it were check me out you know so uh, met Paul in Solid Bond there was a bass there and he said you know can you play the bass line to um 
give it some emotion, which I think she just released. I only heard it on the radio a couple of times, but it wasn't particularly tricky. So I think I, I played that, and he, you know, he said, yeah, fine, you'll, you'll do. So, I mean, I, I guess I was the founder member of Tracy's band, The Soul Squad. I should add, she, she also sang on Speak Like a Child, and then... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. ...the Style Council as well. And then, obviously, like you say, there's the, the house that Jack built, which was top 10, give it some emotion. And at that point, then, the band are recording an album, which comes out the following year, Far From The Hurting Kind. But if I remember rightly, those two singles weren't on the album. Is that right? Yeah, they weren't on the original album, no. Yeah, That's which right. is nuts yeah. now when you think about it, isn't it? You've had this brand new artist and you're releasing these singles that are doing really well, you know, top 10, top 40. But then know. you kind of have the album that they're not on them. I don't know the reasoning for that really. Paul's a bit like that. So, I mean, if you look at the Style Council singles, Shout to the Top was never on any album mm. originally. So if I'm right. I'm yeah, I'm right. you are. Yeah, you're then the support, I guess, for the tour in terms of Star yeah, Council so, tour in Europe and, and Tracy's there with the band, yeah? So basically, when I was brought in and helped Tracy with, the, I think she had a guitarist in mind, but then we had to get some other musicians in and, and uh, Helen Turner was around uh, and Helen, I think, played all of the keyboards basically on the Far From The Hurt and Kind, but she was also working a bit with Paul with the Star Council. But we didn't have a guitarist. Most of the uh, guitar on that first album was all Paul, basically. So I think people get that from the fact that Jake Fluckery uh, was the guitarist. So <laughs> uh, yeah, so Paul Paul played most of the guitar. I've been I've been trying to get hold of Jake. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. I know I did know that. <laughs> yeah. And so, the and at this point you you're kind of on retainer, right? So you're so you're solid. Yeah, bond yeah. And so, it's like a uh, nine to five job. <laughs> It was exactly like that. Yeah, we we get our brown paper envelope at the end of the week with you know Kevin on it, uh, and that's when Nick, Nikki was uh, basically the office manager, and she ran the show more or less. Obviously, he, her dad had an office there, but yeah, it was like going into the office every day in Solid Bond. It was it was great. Yeah, so a chap called Steve Sedelnik, who I'm still friends with now, great guy. We auditioned him in a studio in Southwark and I, I'll never forget it because I used to rehearse there before with my, my other band but um, it was called Clink Studios basically and it was um, actually on the site of Clink Prison so that was before you know London had a bustling tourist trade obviously it's no longer a studio it's actually Clink Prison uh, Museum now but uh, yeah so we met this young guy called Steve 18 fresh face straight down from Bradford and uh, yeah and he was a great guy so he became the drummer and did play all the drums on Far from her and kind as well. So. He went on to play with Madonna and people like that, yeah? Yeah, Steve's done a hell of a lot, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you're on tour, you're playing with Tracy. At which point do you enter into the Star Council journey? Because there's a couple of singles, particularly around recording for Cafe Blur Time, which is his first album. And, and like you say, Paul's releasing single after single, but the vast majority of them don't make it onto the album. It's got a brand new collection of songs. And you're on, uh, on a couple of them. So how did, how did that relationship come about? Do you know what? I can't quite remember the order of how things happened, but when I was playing with Tracy on Far From The Hurting Kind, a lot of the material and the way that I was actually playing at the time was in a particular kind of slap, slapping style, which was a bit of a fashion in bass players at the time. I think I, I think I nicked it from uh, Mick Beggs from Kajagoogoo, who, who, you know, just, uh, it was just a style. Obviously, Paul was playing on the album as well. And there was a couple of songs that he had in mind that he wanted that particular star and I think he couldn't really do it himself. I'm not sure I'm saying that, but I don't know. I mean, Paul was a great bass player. I know Paul played a lot a lot of the bass lines on much of the Star Council stuff. So, um, yeah, I can't remember which came first. I think it might have been Big Boss Groove, actually. I got a phone call from Paul at, you know, in the middle of the night. Or I, it probably wasn't. If I remember, I was asleep. But Paul had called me and said, are you coming in? 
to the office tomorrow or into the studio tomorrow. And I said, well, yeah, he said, um, I've got something, you know, in mind that I'm working on now and I'd like you to play on. Went to the studio next day and that was, um, that was Big Boss Groove, which was more or less live, basically, the way it was recorded, as I remember. And I think we only, we only did a couple of takes. Uh, I don't think I repaired any of the bass parts either because, I mean, obviously, things have changed a lot in the studio now. You know, you, if you put a, put a take down, there's always bits and pieces you want to go back and repair. But I don't remember repairing anything. I can still hear a couple of little mistakes on it, you know, if I listen carefully. <laughs> that must be frustrating. <laughs> Every time it's on the radio. Well, you know, they become part of the record, you know. <laughs> there's loads of mistakes all over. Tamla stuff, all good R&B. There's, you know, lots of clashes going on, but it just makes part of the record, yeah. And that's the sixth single. So that's a double A side. One thing to touch on is the amount of material that's coming out in those early days of the Star Council. It seems like Paul's on a really creative streak and just churning out banger after banger, single after single, but the album is made Made up as some amazing songs too but that was a double a side with you're the best thing and weirdly it's kind of like this thing where they call it i mean and i'd love to know how much of this you're talking with paul about it's called grooving um, which is these two tracks it does brilliantly well number five 1984 it's the sixth single and the second from um, cafe blur to be honest when we during those days it, it was like a big club really the whole respond the questions thing you know they got all the guys in the star council band and when we was supporting the star council with tracy on tour in europe we'd all meet up at victoria coach station get on the len Wright coach and drive basically because uh, paul hated flying so we never flew anywhere it was always driving on the coach and it was just like a great big school outing and i just remember at the time just being aware of all the other acts around at the time they didn't seem to the star council on poor it was just we were just the coolest you know in the uk there wasn't anyone around to touch it you know we we would and we there were so many in jokes around you know just uh you know the likes of duran duran and aha and yeah i don't know it just it just seemed we were a well, it felt like that at the time i just felt that we were in a different a different stable shall we say yeah, a couple, a couple of the other honorary councillors have talked about it creating like a youth club, but real yeah. bonds made that are lifelong bonds. But it seems like, I mean, you're travelling the world as well, as so you're travelling Europe, you're going to Japan. What, you, this is like early 20s for you. This must be so exciting. It was, yeah, it was. Going to Japan was uh, a great memory. Actually, my best friend is still my best friend now, Toby Chapman. He was the second keyboard player that I auditioned along with Helen Turner, and I'll never forget that. Toby came to Japan with us, and we, he was my roommate as well. So we never took things too seriously to be honest I, I remember Helen said oh you know we're going to meet this um, chat that's been recommended from someone from the record company Easy Hire Studios in, in North London and there was a piano there and there was Toby there and we said you know Helen played something on the piano and I, and I just said look you know can you do the theme from EastEnders and uh, and do you like a lager basically and, and that was it you know <laughs> and, he was, and he was in uh, but yeah I'll, ne- I'll never forget P- Paul actually uh, I found out we were going to Japan when um we were in solid bond and it was in the kitchen making a coffee and Paul just walk, walked in and said, oh, you know, we're off to the land of the rising sun, you know. So uh, I didn't quite realise at the time he meant we all were, you know. So that, yeah, that was great. And I think that was the thing in those days. I think John, you know, went out of his way to make sure that we were all included. And I think, you know, that was part of the deal they did with the, the Japanese to make sure that um, Tracy and the bank could come as well, you know, as part of this package. So yeah, it was a fantastic time out. Yeah. And they, and they were huge in Japan. And, and, and they was were it, massive, yeah. Was it from day one? So, so those first gigs? It was the first time I'd ever got off an aeroplane and there was loads of, uh, you know, girls, <laughs> screaming girls at the airport. You know, this, is, uh, this was uh, very novel um, wow. for me, yeah. So, and there was always a... 
bunch of women all went outside the hotels everywhere he went and yeah i mean it was paul was obviously huge in japan for the jam days yeah obviously we'd go on early and support um paul and much of the gigs we would go you know into the audience and and, and watch the show so and, and i think it was one gig in in osaka where and the audiences were so polite, you know, they'd all be sitting down and just politely applauding at the end of the, the songs. And I think it was the, the gig in Osaka, they, um, Sarkas went off, came back on, did an encore, and then all the lights came up and everyone was thinking it was the end. But then uh, Paul decided to come back on and do another song and, and uh, was kind of encouraging everyone to stand up, let loose a little. And it, it more or less ended up in like a riot. It was just <laughs> mad. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it stoked, stoked the crowd. But yeah, they, they were, it was crazy, crazy tour, yeah. Love it, love it. And then the big one, Shouts to the Top, which is still a song that I hear on the radio now. It still sounds incredible. Tell me about that one. So this was this was the Style Council's seventh single. Yes, yeah, a shame, really. Paul said, you know, I've got something I'm working on. I'd like you to try and see what comes out, put a bass line to it. And the feel originally was very different to how it ended up. So, um, and I, I put a couple of different bass lines on it. I think there's a, an American mix, which is um, slightly different to the UK mix as well. So it was just Paul asking me, I, I, you know, I just happened to be around and actually doing something on my song. So. You're like, why not? Yes. Why not? Yes, Governor. <laughs> yes. Well, there'll be more in my brown envelope at the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so sitting on the sofa in the control room and Paul saying, you know, this is, this is how it goes. And just playing the track back, you know, and uh, same with um, Everything to Lose. I think um, Paul had an idea for fretless bass on on that, and I had coincidentally just um, taken order of an, a new bass with a fretless neck. So, uh, and that was the same thing, just really in the in the studio with Mick and Paul, just talking through the chord progression, just putting a bass line down. So, the version I played on was the one with Steve's lyrics, which was right. the, the album version. Yeah, I think Paul re-recorded it as um, "You Ever Had It Blue." Was that in absolute? And that be- was for was- absolute beginners, right? Yeah. In terms of touring with the band and 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 with Tracy, are there any gigs that stand up? Paul asked me to um, play the bass at the um, Style Council, put a band together and a set together for the for the miners at the Royal Festival Hall. So I played at that gig. Yeah, that was that was a good gig. Wham were actually uh, top of the bill, or they shared top of the bill with the Style Council, but they they came on and in all their all their white t-shirts with uh, Choose Life, etc. And but they just mimed. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I thought it was, well, it was funny at the time, but, but I'll never forget um, the following week in in Melody Maker there was a headline and it had. Mimer's benefit, and it was just a write-up of the gig, but uh, obviously <laughs> alluding, to the, alluding to the fact that uh, George and Andrew had chosen to uh, not play live. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, especially on a, on a bill, you know, where there's like Annie Whitehead and you know some real, you know, great musos, you know, and uh, How funny. not playing live. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they had a good band. I don't know why they made that decision. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe it came later, but certainly George was able to perform live. We saw some incredible performances and, and various things over the years, didn't we? Tell me about Paul Weller's broken arm. Ah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we was in a tour in Europe. I think it was Germany. I can't, I'm not absolutely 100% sure, but um, basically we stopped at a service station and Paul was just larking about, which was nothing unusual, and chasing around with uh, one of the backing singers around the car park and basically slipped and landed awkwardly. And um, they took him to the hospital when we got to the hotel. I think it was about half past six. Somebody I'd seen someone in the in the lobby, and they said, "Oh, you heard about Paul? He's broken his arm." So, and there was a gig that night, right? But I think Anthony knew most of the set on guitar, 
I just sat in the in the uh, reception of the hotel with Anthony, just working out the baselines for some of the Star Council stuff so I could go in and stand in that night so Paul could just do the gig in a sling. Yeah, so he <laughs> finished the tour. No gigs got cancelled. Right, wow. And was he in full yeah. plaster or was it just like a bandage? Or? Yeah, uh, well, it was a trendy, you know, it was a trendy kind of navy blue <laughs> sling, if I remember rightly. I think there's still, I think there's a rare clip on YouTube from the TV show that appearance that he did when we were over there. And I think that's oh, right. him. Well, it's actually him and Mick doing um, ever-changing moods in the in the studio. And then, and then there's a live clip from, from a gig where he's... Yeah, he's got his arm in a sling. So, so can you remember your last gig? No, I can't really. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the last time we played live. This Tracy story in terms of Respond is really interesting because you were recording a second album. You were involved in there, the, and people might not know this, that there was a second album, but, but, but Polydor have decided to not release it or Respond was disbanded. How did that come about? I don't really know the full-on politics, to be honest, Um but yeah, I think Paul was obviously going through uh, discussions with Polydor because Respond was signed to Polydor. So for whatever reason, and it's a shame because at the time we thought that was a brilliant second album. Uh, Tracy's second album, there's some great, great stuff on there. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, it got shelled for whatever. And I don't really know the, the real reason, but, but uh, yeah, that would have been obviously great to go out and tour that. That unfortunately never happened. So yeah, yeah sad that uh, that never got to be. But um, to, it was really good that Tracy actually persevered. And I think she, she ended up with the rights to the album. It took her a long time, but uh, finally... It got released by Cherry Red, I believe, a few years ago. So yeah, and the, and the album No Smoke Without Fire, it's some really good stuff on it. It's, and you wonder why it didn't come out at the time and what that would have meant for her and um, her career and you guys as a band and stuff. I know it's obviously be a, you know sound a little bit dated now, but at the time I, I thought that was you know a real classy piece of work and mm. uh, she did good and Paul was so hands-on with songwriting and being part of that mix on the first album was that still the same thing for the second not quite so much no so I think Tracy had much more of a you know a hold of the reins if you like for the second album she was getting getting her own way uh, a little more should we say I, I, I'm sure she won't mind me saying that yeah. but um, the second album was a lot more musicians involved different writers coming in in fact I don't think there's a Paul song on the second album you mentioned John Weller so I mean John Weller so many people have talked about obviously his influence and his work with the jam but also the style council and the fact that he was still such an important part of that mix and a, an important part of you know wheeling and dealing getting the gigs getting the, um, the record deals also in terms of creating this family vibe for the band and for for the youth club i'm going to call it um how important was he to you in the mix john was great yeah he re- really was we did a few gigs in the states actually with Tra- with tracy and john came so he was uh it's quite low-key small little clubs you know around the east coast um with a, a gig at the um in new york uh at the ritz so john came really to be our manager if you like so we was just um in a little mini bus but when we got to uh, new york he invited my mother, who lives in the States, so she lives in Las Vegas, but he said, Kev, why don't you invite your mum over to New York? You know, she'd never seen me play live before, so John arranged all of that, you know, sorted a room in the in the Drake Swiss for my mum and paid for the flight and everything. Yeah. But this is exactly what John was like. Brilliant. Oh, wow. How lovely. And what did your mum make of it? 
<laughs> yeah, well, she's uh, she was okay, and then until she got the bill, she I think we we had coffee <laughs> in the reception, and the Drake Swiss. She said, "Oh, I get this," <laughs> and uh, up until that point, uh, she was all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. I thought she would be like, "Oh, what are you doing, wasting your life on the bass guitar?" <laughs> get a oh, no, no, job. No, no. Yeah, no, that was my dad's. My dad, all right, my dad's angle. <laughs> John was great. I remember. He's like a dad, everyone's dad, really. And I, I, we was on tour once in, uh, I think it was Austria, and it was my birthday. Slipped me like 50 quid and went, yo, son, you know, have a, have a drink on your birthday. Have you kept in touch with Paul? Have you heard anything from Paul since? Have you seen Paul since the, since the start? Yeah, I saw, I saw Paul a couple of years ago, just randomly. I booked a couple of tickets to see um, Leia at the um, at the Holborn uh, Peach Express. Yeah. I noticed she was on, and, and I was actually playing there with a band of my own. And so I saw I saw that she was on the bill a few weeks later. So I just just out of interest, curiosity. Curiosity. I wanted to go and uh, check her out. So the evening of the gig, I nearly didn't go because um, I was going to go with a mate who, who let me down at the last minute, and my wife didn't want to go. Can't go on my own. And um, anyway, I decided to go. I thought, well, you know, I didn't want to sit there like a lemon in a pizza restaurant, you know. But um, I decided to go anyway. Walked in, and, and sitting at the next table was like Nikki Weller, Shane White, Steve's ex misses and a Mick Sorbet's wife. So, yeah, it was a great evening. So I'm glad I went. Uh, Nikki said, oh, my brother's coming later. So, um, yeah, I met Paul at that gig. Great. You know, great to see him. A little hug, you know, when when you could actually hug people. But, uh, yeah, it was good to see him. Yeah, he's not changed a bit. Paul's daughter, so Leia's, is, I mean, she's got a great voice. It's, there's so much of DC Lee's voice in there. Exactly, yeah. She, she has got a great voice. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. And, uh, one thing I would, whenever we used to be on tour, I you always used to make a point of coming out to because um, we'd probably be just knocking back beers in the dressing room after Tracy's set had finished. But I always made a point of coming out front to hear the seeing um, Paris match. Oh yeah, yeah, Leia did it. So uh, great. Oh wow, really? getting, getting a bit emotional now thinking about. It. Oh man, yeah, that's um, it's a very special song. But yeah, that would have been incredible to have heard that. I've not, I've not seen or heard that in terms of um, they're doing it. Wow, what's been life been like post Star Council? I mean, after the Star Council, I did bits and pieces with like a jobbing bass player. Really, I mean, I worked a bit with Tony Adley for a few years, and was with the gigs. Did an album in LA with Tony. Did a bit with Kylie as well back in the nineties. Not uh, a huge amount. Just been kind of jobbing really and just gigging you know just for fun really now got some great friends that have been playing with for all my life that we still play but what's good now is that i don't need to play for money so it's kind of playing for the the real reason just to enjoy the material yeah so kevin two final questions before you go this has been absolutely brilliant i've loved every second of this so thank you you're allowed one paul weller song for the rest of your life it can be the jam the style council or solo which one's it going to be i'll have to go with uh, paris match i think i just it's just got so many memories for me and you know just beautiful song which version because <laughs> there's a few aren't there everything but the girl version as well isn't there the, yeah there is there is yeah ah yeah there are there are yeah i like paul's version i like these version probably these version you know when i was fresh into the whole kind of respond and and star council set up that was the first time i'd heard that song i don't think i remember hearing that before that point i just thought what well, brilliant you know poignant 
lyric, you know, and mm. just just so different to anything that I'd heard from Paul before, you know. So European, which seems crazy now when you look at the world that we're in in the UK with Brexit and everything. Um, I loved all that. I love looking back at all that of just how they embrace this idea that we are all of us in this together, and and the European influences were such an important part of that band, and it, it just felt so so different. And yeah, fresh. absolutely, and it was so cool as well. Mm. You know, I mean that the cover with the Eiffel Tower and, uh, and and the black and white loafer. And, I mean, that just, back in those days, it just um, reminded me of, you know, and obviously there's the link to the uh, Parry Match magazine and it's almost like a magazine cover, you know, just really cool, I thought. The band looks so cool and so sharp. Were you part of that mix as well? Because I know Nicky Weller was involved at one point in terms of <laughs> helping to stylize you lot. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what... Well, I'd love to say yes, but you know, I think no, I don't think I quite cut it in the style department. <laughs> not as far as uh, Paul and Mick. I mean, you know, I, I remember Nicky Weller taking in a pair of jeans for me once. I think I bought I bought a pair of five oh ones just down the road in Oxford Street, and and I thought the, the legs were too wide. And and Nicky actually, <laughs> that was the day of the miners benefit gig at the Royal Festival Hall, and I, I remember Nicky, you know, taking my Levi's in and making them skinny at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> The whole idea of this podcast is for me, after um, 10 years since I gave up my life as a radio presenter, to be able to secure one interview with Paul Weller, the one that kind of got away, if you like. What should I ask him if it ever happens? Well, I hope it, hope it happens for you, Dan. Um, Bless you. I would love to know. I would love to know what he's what he's done with all of those loafers over the years. <laughs> has, he got a whole room, has he got a room full of loafers? <laughs> I'm sure he has. Brilliant. I love that. <laughs> I would love to know because it seems like every time you see any picture, it's a different outfit. He's looking so cool. Yeah, you're right. Is it, what's that walking? Yeah, that walking his loafers always look brand new. I mean, I, I, I yeah. used to love loafers as well back in the back in the early skinhead days when I was at school. Uh, but, you know, I'd, I'd buy them and within two days, you know, they look like they've been two yeah. years old playing football in them and everything. Like that. And also the monkey boots never look worn in, which is always, I'm like, uh, I'm uh, like oh, he must have terrible blisters on his, <laughs> on his ankles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kevin, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's not a problem. Thanks. Enjoy the chat. Thanks, Dan. Good luck. Well, that was lovely once again with some fabulous stories to tell. My thanks to Kevin Miller. Next up, and I can't quite believe that I'm saying this, a proper exclusive with somebody who has never spoken about her time in the Star Council before to anyone. Known as Jay Williamson back then, she sang with the band in 1984 whilst DC Lee focused on her solo work. And it's Jay that you would have watched in the Far Out Far East Council Meeting in Japan concert film. Jay Ella Ruth, as she's known now, joins me on the very next episode. Make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. You do not want to miss this one. Don't forget to share the episode on social media. Leave a review wherever you get yours. It really does help us to find new listeners to the show. Help us to spread the word, won't you? You can find us on Twitter. It's at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook, Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.